What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. Tune in to Done By Law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done by law, 6pm Tuesdays. Welcome to Done by Law on 3CR 8.55am. And also welcome to those of you listening via various podcast platforms or via streaming on 3cr.org.au. Your hosts tonight are Gemma and Sue. Hey, Gemma. How are you Hi, doing? Sue. Good. How are you? Oh, you know. I know. Down, please end. It's going. <laughs> okay. Um, we should tell you that it's um, even though you're listening to this, it's just after 6 p.m. on Tuesday, the 5th of October, you're actually listening to content that we pre-recorded on Sunday, the 3rd of October. So we're all um, talking to talking on a Sunday afternoon. Um, and we start by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, the original and rightful custodians of the land that uh, 3CR broadcasts from and all of the um, First Nations landowners from the different places that we're all broadcasting from because we're all in different places uh, since we're doing this by Zoom. And we also pay our respects to the elders past and present and we acknowledge that this land was stolen, never ceded, always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Have you ever wondered how much thought actually goes into the design and construction of courthouses? And what about the impact of this design on those who use these buildings and on our community in general, on everyday people walking past the buildings, perhaps having some sort of contact what does that architecture say about the way our society collectively views the law and who and how we view those who interact it, with it? So um, tonight we're going to explore that. We're talking about a, a new book, which is a collection of essays that explores these ideas from different perspectives. And it's a book called Courthouse Architecture, Design and Social Justice. And we have a couple of special guests who are the authors of one of the chapters or a couple of chapters and also the editors of the collection itself. And they are Kirsty Duncanson and Emma Henderson. They're both academics from La Trobe University. Kirsty is a senior lecturer at the Department of Social Inquiry and Emma is director of graduate research in the law school. So welcome Kirsty and Emma on your Sunday afternoon. Thanks. Thanks for having Hi. me. <laughs> okay, Gemma, do you want to kick off the questions to these fantastic guests? I do. Um, well, I mean, I think just to start with, let's start with the, the, the most important premise, which is why did you decide to create this book? Why now and why here? Uh, it's actually a long time ago we started working on the development of this book. I used to teach a subject to first-year law students where we take the law students into the magistrate's court in the city and they have to write a case brief. And we would prepare them for that by giving them readings about the design and so that they could think about things like acoustics and 
hierarchy in the courtroom. And we used a book by Pat Carlin, which was written back in 1974, this really groundbreaking, important book called Magistrate's Justice. And we got thinking about how weird it was that we were using such an old text from England um, in Australia in you know, the 21st century. So we started thinking and planning 10 years ago about how great it would be to uh, write a updated Australian resource. And we got funding for a symposium in uh, 2017 where we invited a whole lot of architects and judges and court workers and sociologists and criminologists and lawyers to get together to talk about Australian courthouse architecture. And of course, it, it, we brought in a whole lot of other kind of themes as well. And this book is one of the products of that 2017 symposium. It's taken us quite a while to stitch it all together, but it's finally been published by Rutledge and it's pretty awesome. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah, no, I, th I think it's such a, an important contribution and, and certainly lawyers that use and frequent the, the courts, um, um, you know, every day or, or frequently, I think all share the experience where they've gone into the courtroom and gone, oh, where's the room or it's in the wrong time or the lift's broken, oh, this courtroom sucks, why are we over here or calling somebody else? So um, I'm sure it will be read with a lot of interest. Um, can you tell us about, I guess, you know, from that, that experience where lots of lawyers, I guess, have um, less than ideal experiences with the courtrooms that they, they need to use. Do you have a favourite design, I guess, that you think works really well or other, other courtrooms that you think fall short uh, because of the poor design? Can I jump in and say that, look, um, uh, I don't use court spaces because I'm not a practising lawyer. Um, but from from what um, from our collection and um, from our analysis of court spaces, then um, we've got a couple of favourite courtrooms. I'd say one of them, or court buildings, one of them is the Neighbourhood Justice Centre in Collingwood, um, which we actually wrote about in um, uh, in a um, an article that that was came from the symposium as well. Um, which was published in the Griffith Law Review, but um, also the Kununurra Courthouse um, up in the Kimberley, which was um, designed uh, as a kind of collaborative effort with a couple of um, architecture firms, and you know, kind of white-owned um, and um, and Aboriginal community, local communities, and it incorporates um, the the two together, um, the two kind of approaches together um, to create this kind of amazing space. And I think some of the kind of um, components that really stand out. Um, are things like the use of um, of light and glass mm -hmm. so that there's a real kind of um, you know what was really important was um, like the whole building echoes the surrounding landscape like the escarpments and so forth which um, has very important lawful meaning um, for local communities um, and um, and there's visual access to those um, from from within the building um, and the magistrates court is is quite designed to be quite open um, as well the waiting space um, was designed very carefully um, in consideration of um, 
of interactions between families and parties so that, you know, when there are protocols around people who, who um, can't be speaking, um, they, they aren't situated, uh, they don't have to be situated too close to each other, but, but can have kind of private areas. Um, but also uh, the space, like the success of the space has been recognised. Martin Hook, who's, who um, is one of the architects, um, uh, part of one of the firms involved, uh, talked about the way that, um, that uh, the way that they measured some of the success of the building was that the space around the building and within the building um, has been used by uh, local people as a kind of meeting place. Um, so there's a lot of kind of people just just hanging out there, uh, but also that it hasn't been graffitied um, oh. Oh. Uh, by local community. So it's sort of um, there's a there's a kind of um, I don't know whether. Like I think graffiti can be done with respect, but I guess it's it's not um, kind of been defaced or um, or treated as as um, alien. Um, so I, I think that that's um, and it's beautiful. Like we've got one of the sketches on the cover of of the um, soft cover version of the book, and it's yeah, it's a it's a beautiful space. So um, that's really interesting. Does the building actually look some really different than what we would imagine a courthouse to look like here in most of the old school courthouses that are pretty, pretty crusty looking and yeah. kind of reflects a lot of what goes on inside. But you know. <laughs> there's none of the Victorian grandeur. It's, mm. a, it's grand. It's a grand, be beautiful building, but it's very contemporary and very well located within its environment mm. it kind of sits there and looks like it belongs mm. okay yeah. so, so it, what I'm hearing is that you're sort of talking about principles where the the users of the court are put a sort of back at the center of the premise of what the design is meant to be and that has created a much more user-friendly I guess kind of space um, that also has changed I guess from the Victorian era courts where you know, everything is very top down. Everything is about where the judge sits downward. And mm. it sounds like the, the, some of these newer courts that are being designed by, um, in conjunction with local community, helps put that focus back on those that are engaging with the law. Is that kind of the That's the idea, the idea behind it. Yeah. Whether or not that's actually achieved, I mean, that's the thing that the book is about, that, you know, what we have, what we, I think, what the argument of the book is, that architecture can only do so much. And so one of the um, members of the local community when asked what he thought about this beautiful new courthouse in Kununara, um, he was very dismissive because oh. the justice that's happening inside the building is still, you know, white fella justice. Oh. So he was like, you know, you should just burn that building down. Um, oh. So you can, you know, if, the, if you can put all of the thought and care and love into the construction of the building but if the processes inside it don't reflect that then you're still imposing justice on people who have not consented to that for you know to that yeah form. so it's kind of like the architecture is more than is the architecture of the words as well as the building itself and the, the words of the law and the systems of the law uh, yeah yeah and that's have a really architecture to themselves. Yeah. That's a really interesting um, the use of the words of the law because um, the artwork inside the 
Kununara courtroom is the words of the law, the Indigenous justice. Oh, wow. You know, they actually, yeah. not plastered, but, you know, the artworks inside are actually the law. Right. But then, of course, what's actually being practised is... That's quite, that must feel kind of, well, I shouldn't... There's a tension there, isn't there? Yeah, there is a tension there. Wow. It's it's interesting because um, Kate Orty, um, who was um, who was a magistrate in Victoria, but she was also part of the um, Royal Commission into Black Deaths in custody, um, and um, she has headed up um, a number of um, sentencing courts, Aboriginal sentencing courts um, around Australia. Um, and she put something together for us um, for the symposium, but also for the, um, the Griffith Law Review special issue. And, um, and she talks about, um, about, you know, just doing um, justice in spaces that, that were not designed for doing justice, but, mm. um, but um, getting elders on board um, and um, and doing this kind of you know sitting uh, around at the round table, well the kind of oval tables um, like the Curry Court, and and having um, elders you know being part of the sentencing process, and seeing that as um, uh, as some governance and ownership being handed over, and so um, Kate Audie's kind of argument. Um, within this conversation has been very much like, well, you don't need the perfect space in order to kind of hand over some of some of the control and to grant some ownership. Um, uh, so, so I think that that sits interestingly in tension. Of course, in the, in the Kununurra courthouse, um, what I find really compelling is that there's all this kind of amazing ways of, of, of kind of, um, presenting magistrates justice but then there's the county courtroom at the top um, okay. and that is just like snapping right back back to the old school <laughs> stuff yeah and we we have a, now we're, it's not quite kind of um uh wedding cake material but it's <laughs> oh, it's more sort of um you know polished wood and yeah. yeah. it has the kind of cathedral ceiling oh goodness yeah. me yeah, yeah. so bringing bringing that back to the you, you talked about the neighborhood justice center what you were talking about just then makes me think of a whole nother conversation about the way the the hearings in the Marbo case were held out on country um but that is for another <laughs> program, I think. Um, but bringing back to the Neighbourhood Justice Centre here, which is actually not very far away from 3CR, um, you know, what's good about that place or, you know, as opposed to the others? I mean, in terms of the, the architecture and design, it's a retrofitted building. Mm. So they've taken an existing old factory and turned it into a really special neighbourhood space playing spending a lot of time thinking about how they can bring the outside in so one of the things that I really love about the neighborhood justice center is that the courtroom itself is designed so that the outside can be heard inside so instead of being oh. vacuum sealed when the magistrate is actually in the courtroom you can hear the kids in the in the school yard outside oh wow um, oh wow reminding so the, and that's designed as a kind of subtle reminder that the people in the courtroom are connected to the community outside. 
So I I really love that idea that you're not in this, you know, sealed, special sphere, that you are actually in the community and these people are part of the community. That's great. Yeah. I should use that analysis when my um, child pipes up and you can hear her off camera and say, well, it was, you know, it's meant to be so we're connected. (laughs) Yeah, it's something that I'm quite interested in in relation to COVID. Um, Yes. That could take us in a in a new direction. Well, yeah. let's go there. I mean, yeah. I think one of the you know the I, I wouldn't say memes, but I guess there's been lots of um, links doing doing the rounds where people share you know um, hilarious uh, court uh, snippets that pe- that have, that have happened over Zoom. Little problems. There was the there was the the lawyer who accidentally came up as a cat face and had to explain to the judge that he wasn't in fact a cat, and it was extremely awkward. Um, and I think Zoom's obviously heralded in um, not Zoom. COVID has rather heralded in this new era where if we were tinkering with the idea of having courts online before, we're sure as hell now looking straight in the face of it. Um, what does that, how does how does your book um, try and deal with this or how did you try and deal with this, which I, I suspect would have been happening right at the time that you were getting to the publishers probably? Yeah, so it's the last, the, the last kind of, like oh my goodness and now and now there's a whole new chapter <laughs> and it's briefly mentioned um so carolyn Mackay, who who writes about um so she's written quite a lot about um prisoners so um now if you're in custody in new south wales and you have to go to court then um then you're very unlikely to be actually taken physically to court you'll be you'll be speaking from um a studio um studio I, I use quote marks there for those who didn't see me. <laughs> <laughs> this is voice recording um uh so um so having that um so so Carolyn's already kind of exploring this space and the um and 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 what can be beneficial but also what can be detrimental about about that I mean she's working very specifically or she has worked very specifically about um what it is to be to be um zoomed in from prison um which of course has huge implications for for people's impression of your guilt even though Mm. you're only on remand um but um, but also about the sounds that are going on um, uh, around you. Um, one of the things I noticed because um, uh, my students were doing um, court observations this year, and a lot of them had to do it online. Um, and when I was kind of doing a bit of research to support them, I noticed that you can choose backgrounds, and you can choose a kind of modern court background or a or a Supreme Court background. So I think that that ha- being able to play with what you give your testimony in front of is quite significant but also design your own architecture oh my goodness that's right have your own setting which which has implications but there's another Mm. chapter by um anna um carline and claire gumby from the uk about about um barristers making decisions about um about how um, complainants deliver their testimony. I might hand over to Emma here because because what they found was something that resonated with some research that we've done looking at um, rape trial transcripts as well. So one of the one of the interesting developments over the last 
10, 15 years has been the introduction of video testimony for sexual assault complainants and children complainants in sexual assault cases. And the, the idea behind this is um, to uh, remove the trauma for complainants giving testimony in those um, cases so that they can give their evidence on video and not have to be in the courtroom. But what, what we've found in our research with barristers and uh, what comes out in the chapter in the book is that this is not all upside and that a lot of complainants who start off giving evidence in on video end up wanting to give their testimony actually in the courtroom. And a lot of barristers don't want complainants to give their evidence on video. Uh, and of course, defense barristers who love it because the, the, the theater and the, the drama is missing from video testimony and that connection between the juror and the complainant is missing. Wow. It, I feel like the, the frisson, the, the discomfort, the emotion, the, the, how it affects you bodily to mm. see somebody giving testimony about something is so integral to, to kind of um, criminal law, I think, um, and that, that gets left out. Um, Absolutely. And, and, and even from personal injury, you know, in the civil context, uh, being able to understand, you know, how uh, injured or hurt someone has been, you know, that, 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 um, that aspect of that human, you know, theatre, which is that live element where you are in the room with someone else. Um, and I guess, as you were saying, Emma, that even though defence, um, you know, would, would love, I, says, I suppose, video testimony at the same time, the cross-examination of someone over a video, I'm sure it has a whole raft of issues that is hard to let the jury properly eyeball somebody if they mm. can't get that repartee up, you know. It's so interesting, This the, the COVID context removes all of those things, those physical design things that you've, all, you've been talking about mm -hmm. um, and leaves in some ways a lot of it to imagination and... Um, that's, I guess that's a whole nother story too. Yeah. And, and so, the, the removal of the jury. I mean, that's, yes. that's what's been going on during COVID. We've just got rid of the jury. And so wow. that's fast forwarded that development um, mm. dramatically. And so uh, tell us about um, your title. Do you, do you the, the title of the book to remind everybody is um, Courthouse Design, Architecture and Social Justice. Do you really think that that design actually does affect social justice and how like kind of how how does that happen i do i i do i think um you know things like in the neighborhood justice center um where you know you can hear the children playing but um you can also visually connect with um with the surrounds um and the the space in the neighborhood justice center is um I mean, there's still um, a level, a step up to where the magistrate <laughs> is. Um, but I think, um, you know, there's writing to say that light keeps you engaged, awake. Um, so everybody's working better. Um, you know, being able to hear what is going on in your case, um, being able to, to speak your story, which is so much what, um, what, um, victims are understood to need, even though it's still not 
kind of delivered, there is um, an ability to be heard as as you speak, but also not have to not having to shout out personal details um, uh, in a way that that's that's really um, unlike um, any other kind of thing that experience that you might have. So I think that it does. I think also reminders, art can remind us, uh, you know, like there's, there's, I feel a little bit ambivalent about uh, the inclusion of, um, you know, First Nations art in terms of, of um, it kind of being more welcoming. Um, but at the same time, you know, um, it can't, it, it can only be contained because again it's um if it could work properly then it would be undermining the sovereignty of the law that's going on in that building so um there's a risk of sort of paying lip service just by putting art on the wall but not matching it with the under with the with the the structural change i'm just i'm i'm having to I'm the timekeeper here listeners and um, we have one minute left so we have to cut off this brilliant um, discussion Um, so just quickly how why why should our listeners why should our everyday people who never have been in court never don't never think they would be in court why should they care why should they care about this we spend an enormous amount of taxpayer dollars on court buildings they belong to us and they are created in order to carry out justice in our name. I think it's something that affects all of us, whether we go into a courtroom ourselves or not. I think it's something that we should all be interested in. I mean, one of our chapters um, involves a former federal court judge talking about the project he led in redesigning the federal courts here in Melbourne. And, Mm. you know, the amount of thought and um, money and... Uh, cooperation that went into and between all the parties to get those courtrooms right Mm. it's a fascinating story I think it's something that interests should interest all of us right okay well we are so out of time (laughs) thank you very much for your time on a Sunday afternoon Kirsty and Emma um much for having us yes (laughs) and thank you for your super interesting book listeners if you want to get hold of this book i reckon if you just google courthouse architecture design and social justice it'll come up from a a good bookstore that you can buy it from online and um and to you our listeners thanks for tuning in Uh, done by law returns next tuesday at 6 p.m and stay tuned now for voices of west papua and um see you Gemma. Bye. Thanks, Sue. Thank you so much, Emma and Kirsty. Great, great book. I'm going to Google it right now. (laughs) Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. It's time to speak up, speak out and speak loud. From an idea born on a park bench outside Liberal Party headquarters, where hundreds of women told their stories of sexual violence, introducing Feminist Fridays. Join our open speaking circle to tell your story any way you want. A poem, a speech or a dance. You can even yell it out in the direction of Parliament House because that's where we'll be, on the steps. Feminist Fridays, starting Friday the 30th of April at 12pm. Join us. It's time to unite, heal and take back our power. Feminist Fridays isn't just a protest. We are a non-hierarchical collective ready to destroy the patriarchy, starting with your voice. 
This event is taking place on stolen Wurundjeri land and voices of First Nations people are prioritised. Hosted by Loud, Angry and Not Sorry. A 3CR supporter.